Good evening, my name is Rob, and I am the site pastor at Capitol Prez Fairfax, where a number of us have been gathering for the past five Sundays for worship, and we could not be more thankful for all that God is doing through that site and through that service, and I could not be more thankful to be here tonight with the whole family for this Monday Thursday service. Glad James explained to us what Monday Thursday is. I know for some of us we might not have known that. We might have known what Taco Tuesday is, but it's always helpful to be reminded of what Monday Thursday is. We're going to jump into John 14 and read verses 1 through 7 here in a minute. You'll find it on page 901 of your church Bible. But it's helpful to know this, that we're, we're kind of jumping into the later part of the evening. It's kind of like uh, we're showing up at 9 p.m. to a dinner party that started at 7, so it might be helpful for me to recap what's gone on in the evening so far before we read the scriptures because uh, these past few hours here in our setting have been intense to say the least. Uh, Beginning of John chapter 13, it records that after the supper, Jesus uh, washes his disciples' feet, and we need to know that that's nuts, all right, that, that servants wash feet, nobody's wash feet, but Jesus had just entered in on Sunday to the cries of Hosanna to rumors that he was a king. Kings don't wash feet, unless maybe they're a different kind of king. And even when he's washing the feet, he drops a hint that somebody here is going to betray him, and then after the feet are all washed, he just comes out and says it. He says, I'm going to dip some bread, and I'm going to give it to one who's going to betray me. And he hands it to Judas. Understandably, Judas leaves the room. You can imagine the sideways glances going around at that time, maybe the awkward silence, because John says, no one knew. It's not like all the others were, were like, yeah, figures. said no one knew, and, and after that, he does give them this new commandment. He says, guys, I'm going to be leaving, but uh, I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. Love one another. All people are going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And, and we're comforted. That's the safe teaching Jesus that we know. And then Peter speaks, and, and he says, hey... Jesus, why are you talking about leaving and we can't follow you now, but we're going to be able to go with you later? Like, Jesus, I want to follow you now. Like, I'm with you till the end. Like, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. To which Jesus says, Peter, you're going to lay down your life for me? He says, listen, before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me Three times. And that's where we step into the room. You ever step into a room and wonder to yourself, what in the world is going on here? What just happened? That's something of what we're stepping into now as we turn to John chapter 14, 1 through 7. Hear now the word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we 
we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on this Thursday night here in McLean, Virginia, we ask you, the creator and sustainer of all things, to speak to us. In this hour, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? By your Spirit, may we see your Son, Jesus, in ways that give us hope and make us more like him. Amen. If it helps you to have an outline or a heads up where we're going tonight, we're going to talk briefly about three things. Trouble, home, and the way. Trouble, home, and the way. So if we return back to that room, to those men gathered, to that awkward silence, as we enter in there, we would hear Jesus say these words, let not your hearts be troubled. Take a minute and think what that means about our Jesus, right? Because it's him that's just been betrayed, right? It's him that he's, he's just proclaimed was going to be abandoned and denied, not just by Peter, but really by all the guys in that room. It's Jesus that knows full well that before him stands shame, suffering, torture and the crucifixion, and yet what does his heart do? Where's his concern? Where do we see his affection and tenderness go? He actually turns to his disciples and cares about them and wants to tend their souls. There is no one like this Jesus. He, he, knew, he knows their fear and their worry. He knows, yeah, they did just find out that there was a traitor among them. They had no idea. And they do keep hearing about their friend and their teacher, Jesus, leaving them. And so they're scared. And, and they just heard that Peter, who they thought was the rock, actually be called the coward. And so they're worried. Their, their hearts are troubled. And so Jesus has words. He has counsel and instruction for those whose hearts are troubled. I wonder who might fit that description here tonight, whose hearts are troubled tonight. I wonder if it's middle school students or if it's high school students. When I, when I think about the space you have to, to navigate where you or your friends might battle with mental illness or self-harm, where you or your friends might deal with the confusion and pain of broken homes, where you've got to figure out and navigate the temptations of vaping and alcohol and drugs, where you have this convenient technology that can fit in your pocket and yet wreak havoc on your lives. And somewhere in there you're supposed to learn and study. Maybe your hearts are troubled. Maybe your hearts are troubled if you're the parent of a middle school student or high school student. 
Maybe it's a young adult whose heart's troubled as they're trying to figure out what in the world they're going to do with their lives relationally, vocationally, here in this new city, in their new job, or maybe they're just praying that God would provide them a job. Maybe your hearts are troubled. Maybe our are not so young adults. Um, maybe your hearts are troubled. Maybe you're looking at retirement and thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't work. My identity and who I am so wrapped up in my career, I can't imagine a life after it where you're worried about ever being able to retire. Maybe your hearts are troubled. And you know, we, funny, we, we humans are funny creatures. Because if the actual circumstances of our lives don't trouble us enough, you know what we often do? We borrow trouble. Right? right. We imagine how bad it could be or how bad it might be, and we worry about that. The poet John Keats's words are something that I can resonate with and identify. He says, imaginary grievances have always been my torment more than real ones. And maybe you're here tonight and your heart's not troubled. Well, praise God. Like, don't feel bad. Like, rejoice. Okay, that's good. That's a good thing. But know that you live in a world with an abundance of brokenness. So if your heart's troubled or you want to love those whose hearts are troubled, you need to hear these, the words of Jesus and what he says to his disciples. He says to troubled-hearted disciples, believe in God, believe also in me. He calls his friends in, in the midst of this catastrophic evening to put their faith and trust and hope in him. And then he goes on to explain what that looks like. He, he, he says to the trouble-hearted, you need to hear about home. And he speaks to them about home. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, in the midst of their catastrophic evening, Jesus lifts his disciples' eyes from their immediate circumstances. Isn't it amazing how my emotions uh, are all consumed often by what happened in the last hour or the last 24 hours. And what Jesus does here for the disciples is rescue them from that reality and lift their eyes to say, no, I'm preparing a place for you. I've got a destination in mind, and I'm going to prepare it, and I am going to take you there. Much has been said about these verses, and one of the more unhelpful things that have, has been said is when when you read these words, home and many rooms, this, this notion of mansion has come in there. And so all of a sudden people get excited about heaven and having their mansion in the sky. All right, that's, that's not the point of this text. That's not what Jesus is getting at, right? It's not like Jesus for the past 2,000 years has been at a construction site trying to kit out palaces for his followers. You get that, right? Like he's not up there like, hey, Moses, is that Litson's house right there? And Moses is like, yeah. You know, hey, Litson went to church on a Thursday night, so make sure he gets the premium finishes, you know, like those drawers that like, close on their own, <laughs> right? Sorry, Litson, that's not how it works, all right? It's not the point of the text. Jesus was a carpenter, yes, but that's not what he's getting at here. The talk of many rooms is to show that there's 
There's space isn't an issue. There's rooms for cowards like Peter, and there's rooms for trouble-hearted disciples like you and like me where Jesus has gone to prepare a place. There is room for us, and he wants his disciples to know that. You see, the beautiful thing about heaven is not what's there, but who is there, right? It says, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, hope, hope in the midst of our catastrophe comes from knowing that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus, one who fully knows us, our mess, our brokenness, things we didn't say, things we should have said. He fully knows us, and yet he still fully loves us. And that lets us know that whatever our catastrophe is this week, this month in our life, that it is not final ultimately, and it is not fatal ultimately. Later in this chapter, chapter 14, Jesus is actually going to say, yes, even while you're here on earth in the midst of brokenness, I'm going to send my spirit to be a helper for you. But right now, he wants them to lift their eyes and know that he's creating a home for them. If I'm honest, I think far too little about heaven. I think far too little about the place that my Savior has prepared for me. A place where there's going to be no cancerous tumors. A place where there's going to be no shame or fear or worry. A place where where no one will ever harm or be harmed. And, and, And this is all because of the healing of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the victory of Jesus over sin and over death. You know, if you work with kids from a troubled background, or maybe you are a kid from a troubled background, kids that didn't grow up in a home where there was safety and stability, you'll often find that kind of regardless of where they're at in life, where they go in life, they really battle ever to feel at home. And on the other side, if you, if you meet kids often and they've had a very stable, a very safe home growing up, it often turns out that no matter where they end up, no matter where they are, they, they feel like it's home. What Jesus would want us to know tonight is that you have a safe, stable, loving home that is greater than you could ever imagine. And that and that alone will root you in the midst of your troubles and your suffering and catastrophe. Jesus said, don't be troubled, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a home. And then he he ends that by saying, and you know the way, you know the way to where I'm going. And I love this next interaction, right? I love what happens next. Again, it seems like there may have been some of those awkward glances, some of that awkward silence, um, and kind of Thomas there thinking, This is usually when Peter speaks up, but he's probably still reeling from that whole rooster thing. Uh, And I can see him saying like, hey, Bartholomew, like, you never say anything. Why don't you ask this question? Right? Um, But to no avail. And so then we see there in verse 4, something like this, right? Like Thomas pipes up and he's like, Jesus, with all due respect, we don't know where in the world you're going. How can we know the way? And again, I love what Jesus doesn't say. 
Right? Jesus doesn't say this. Water turned to wine. 5,000 fed. Lazarus raised from the dead, after which I said, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and you don't know the way. You know, the more I see Jesus, the more I realize I'm not like him. But I really want to be like him because he patiently listens to Thomas's question. And I love that Thomas asked it, right? Because Thomas is not going to politely pretend that he believes the right thing. We've said even around here, we don't want to be the kind of people that politely pretend to believe the right thing. He doesn't smile and nod while Jesus is talking, all the while having no idea what he's saying. He says, hey, what are you talking about? (laughs) To which Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is the way because he is the truth and the life. He's he's the truth that helps us to know who God is, to help us to to see who God is, who proclaims exactly the way of salvation. He's the truth that lets us know the way. Um, He's the way because he is the life. That is, he came and lived this life that we should have lived, a selfless life when we were selfish. A life of obedience when we've lived a life of rebellion. He is the way because he is the life and he gave his life instead of our own. On the cross to face the punishment that we deserved. He, he is the way because he is the life because that life is then picked up again in resurrection. Jesus tells Thomas, listen, your hope your salvation, uh, your way home to be at the place where I've prepared for you is through me. That's the reality of Easter, right? That, that our hope for salvation is on full display for all to see through our resurrected Savior. He has made a way through sin and death and all could see it. If you want to go to the grave of Muhammad today, you'll find it under a green dome and Saudi Arabia. The ashes of Buddha are reportedly scattered throughout shrines and temples. The grave of Christ is empty. And even more than just the founders and their graves, these other world religions provide a way that is centered on performance and achievement so that you might never know how you're doing or if you're doing good enough or you've got to constantly worry. Now, you might be here tonight um, and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ. You might think of yourself as a thoroughly modern and secular person. But even you have a way. Uh, the great Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. talked about this in a letter to a friend. He says, if one thinks coldly, a modern person has to admit there is no reason for attributing to man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or a grain of sand. But then he adds, when he begins to think like this, that it's time to go downstairs and play solitaire. You see, the only way to find peace and meaning in a secular or materialist worldview 
is to stop thinking about the implications of your belief. And tonight, there, there are countless people playing solitaire in McLean and Merrifield and Mantua. There are those in Great Falls or Fair Oaks who are distracting themselves from these questions about eternity by, by chasing the American dream or they're numbing themselves from these questions with pain medication or pornography or alcohol. But, but Jesus makes it clear. There, there's only one way home. There's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to salvation. And, and James highlighted it on Sunday that, yes, this is a radically exclusive teaching that is also radically inclusive. That, yes, no, there's no other way. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. But through Jesus, anyone can come to the Father. Let me give you a couple questions to close us with tonight. Let me ask you, what's your way? What, what is your way? It's not if, but what your way is, right? We, we all have a way that we're thinking will bring salvation, hope, lead us to life. If you don't call yourself a follower of Christ tonight, let me, let me plead with you that there is no truer way. There is no more gracious Savior than Jesus Christ. For my Christian friends, tonight Jesus would call you to remember that he is preparing a place for you. Would you think much of heaven tonight? Would you think much of heaven this week in the midst of your troubles and catastrophes? Would you think much of heaven? Would you be so rooted in that hope that you're willing to interrupt people's regularly scheduled solitaire and invite them to know this way? this better way. Invite them to come on Sunday and hear of this Jesus who invites them home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you impress upon our souls this night the beauty of Jesus the love that He shows, the way that He has opened for us as broken people to come and know the love of the Father. For those that have never committed themselves to Christ, tonight would you be at work in their souls, helping them see in ways they never imagined the beauty of Jesus. For those of us that know Christ, help us to see him again anew, to root our hope in the home that he has prepared for us. Amen.